This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. If you've ever said to somebody the pride comes before a fall, then you've been using the words of Proverbs. If you've ever said it's good to have a word in season, you've been using the words of Proverbs. If you've ever said that it's good not to have respect of persons, you've been using the words of Proverbs. If you've ever said that you never know what a day may bring, you've been using the words of Proverbs. Isn't that interesting then? You have this collection in the book of Proverbs, which is there written so many hundreds of years ago, and yet sometimes unconsciously, we in our everyday lives are using these kind of sayings and the principles that we find there day in, day out. Now, what I'd like to do in this, uh, in this short talk is, uh, first of all, just to open up to you a few of the passages of, uh, in the Proverbs and, and, and show to you these well-known sayings that we have today, that they originate from, from here in, in the book of Proverbs, in the middle of our Bibles. Uh, once we've done that, then what we're going to do is to look at another three Proverbs, um, and we're going to look at them and we're going to see how they fitted in into the experience of the writer and how that they've been developed by the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. So let's make a start then. You'll need your Bibles open at Proverbs and we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 11. So here what we're doing is by way of whetting your appetite to show you that when you, when you open up some of the, uh, the pages in, in this treasure trove of proverbs and pieces of advice, you'll find in there things that you'll recognise uh, from, from the things that we say every day. So if you're there in Proverbs chapter 11, have a look there in verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom and that's where we get our phrase from then that says uh, the, that pride comes before a fall it is developed later on in the bible and it's developed also in literature that have come uh, since the the writing of the bible to now so that that's why it's in such common usage but we find this something that we're so familiar with saying here tucked away in proverbs 11 and verse and verse 2 I made reference, didn't I, also to a word in season, and we find that in the Proverbs as well. Let me show you where this is. It's in Proverbs 15. So if you're in Proverbs 15, uh, take a look here in, um, in verse 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth... And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? If you, if you hear someone over the next few days say, well, that, that, was just a, that was just a word in season, that was. Well, well, here's where the words come from, tucked away here in Proverbs, uh, this time chapter 15. Uh, I asked you if you've ever heard anyone say, well, it's good not to have respect of persons. Well, if you've got Proverbs open, have a look in chapter 24, and you'll find that that's where we get that phrase from. 
Proverbs 24 and verse 23. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. So again, if you hear someone say that in the next few days, then, then this, is, this is where it's coming from. It's uh, the person has unconsciously opened up this treasure trove here in the book of Proverbs and he's, and he's selecting one. Of course, they're not doing that consciously maybe, but, but subconsciously because it's found its way into our kind of vocabulary. And you never know what a day may bring. Well, Proverbs 27, it's, it's here. Very good advice as well. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Yeah, so don't, clearly you'd need to make your plans, but let's recognise that actually we never know what a day, a day may bring. It, it's just good common sense, isn't it? You know, you, people around us would recognise that that makes good common sense, that whilst you, you make your plans, you recognise that there will be surprises that will come along the way. And, and the reason for bringing this to your attention then, as we open up our, our thinking about Proverbs, A Guide to Life, is to just show that although this book was, was created and brought together so many hundred year, hundreds of years ago, it's actually very relevant for our lives today here in the 21st century. So after having uh, wet your appetite with that to say, actually, this is actually a lot more, a lot more uh, up to date than you might think, let me give you now a bit of the background uh, to, this, to this book. It's better considered as an anthology. An anthology there is a, is a collection of, of things. In this case, it's a collection of wise sayings, a collection of proverbs, most of which were, were written down and brought together by a king of Israel, King Solomon. King Solomon uh, lived around about 950 years before the time, before the time of Christ, and he reigned in, in Israel. He reigned in Israel at what you might call the golden age for that nation. Uh, many nations around the world would have their own golden age. And so the Spanish would have it in the in, in medieval times, and the British would have it a little bit later on. For for Israel, their their golden age was around about here, about 900 years BC at a point where uh, they, they'd managed to constitute their own land, they got their own people, they got their own king, and, and things were at rest. So, so, so Solomon's father, David, was the king who, who brought about the stability of that nation and, and, and made it possible for their enemies to be pushed back and for people then, by the time of David coming to the end of his reign, had got to a place where it was a peaceful and prosperous place to live. And then comes Solomon as his son, the successor, who comes along and he reigns for a period of 40 years. Um, but what he's inheriting is a very, very stable country, a very stable economy and, and a place that, as I say, was both peaceful and prosperous. And it's this man then that's penned most of these wise words. Um, now, what the Bible tells us is that when he was told him that it was as it had been promised that that the king would pass from David to his son, that he was the son that was going to inherit. I mean, what a great thing to inherit. I mean, normally uh, what kings inherit is the problems of their fathers, isn't it? But in the case of, of Solomon, what he inherited was, was the dream of a, of a kingdom to govern over. And so, religious man as he was, he approached God in, in prayer and said, um, I don't ask for wealth. Uh, what, what I ask for is wisdom. 
he sort of he recognised the great responsibility that he'd been charged with to be the, the, the king, the ruler over this people. It, it wasn't immediately apparent to him that he'd got to push back that neighbour or he'd got to push back that enemy because that had already been done. And therefore, what he wanted was not wealth or strength or military might. What he wanted was wisdom. Wisdom so that he could rightly lead this people into whatever should come into their path. And, and the Bible tells us that God told him that he would be given a double portion of wisdom, that he would become uh, one of the, the wisest, if not the wisest man that's ever lived. And, and I, think it's a, I think it's a proverb of itself today, isn't it, where people would say, you would need the wisdom of Solomon to decide between this or that. If, if you've got a balance you've got to strike between, between two extremes, people would say, or they recognise if it was said, it, it, that's, that's a tricky thing to decide. You need the wisdom of Solomon to be able to make that judgment. And they're referring back to this person here then, that asked for wisdom and was given wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, in this treasure trove of good pieces of advice, the advice is, in most cases, is coming from that man. That God, this, isn't that great then? So if you think about this person that lived so long ago, I mean, we're, we're nudging 3,000 years... So long ago, how many? What what information do we have of this country of three thousand years ago? I mean, it's emerging, but it's scant still. But whereas, look at this—you've got this whole collection of these wise things that this man said of so long ago, and we've got them. Well, we've got them here in our Bibles, and you can get Bibles on your phones. You know, you can you can actually be never more than a tap away from the wisdom of this man that lived so long ago. And, and it's been validated as well, hasn't it? Because, as we say, there are certain phrases that we would recognise, if not used today, that are taken from the things that he wrote down. So, we can see that many of the things that we use today, and we say today, can be found in this book. And I've told you a little bit about where, uh, where this book comes from and who, who caused it to be written down. What I'd like to do now, then, is to go into a little bit more of a deep dive um, on on three or four examples of these proverbs. And what we're trying to do here, simply very briefly, is to say, look at this proverb in particular. Doesn't it make sense? And then after having said that, I will wrap a little bit of a story around it uh, that shows why uh, Solomon, in this case, was caused to write down that proverb. What, what his life experience was that meant that he wanted to write that down and have it written down such that so many hundreds or thousands of years later people would still be getting the benefit of that wisdom. Okay, so join with me then in Proverbs 22 uh, and let's pick off our first example there. What you find with the book of Proverbs is that because it is an anthology, it's a collection, that sometimes it can be quite challenging to read it. When you read, we try and get the, the flow of a narrative, don't we, as a, uh, as a story. And, and that can be quite challenging here because what it is is a collection of wise sayings. So what we're going to do is going to be delving into uh, three or four of them in isolation and, and see, see what you think. So Proverbs 22 and, and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender I mean doesn't that make sense in today's world yeah, just, th just think about yourselves um, you might be you might be debt free and if you are debt free then people will say that you are financially independent uh, and that's, 
that's in tune with this proverb that you've got here that says that the rich ruleth over the poor and in particular the borrower is servant to the lender yeah so i know that first thing tomorrow morning i'm gonna have to be on the train going to work uh, because i've got a mortgage and needs to be paid i am i'm being lent this money and I'm, i'm servant to them sounds a bit a bit onerous when you put it like that that's the reality isn't it I, i'm servant to them until it's until it's paid off and the same would go wouldn't it for not just a mortgage but credit card bills and store cards and any any ongoing payments that we've got we we recognize that we're duty bound to do certain things because we are the borrower and we're servant we are servant to to the lender in the New Testament, you might keep a marker there in Proverbs uh, 22, but in the New Testament, uh, Jesus was going to uh, use this, uh, this principle as a, um, as a means of explaining the principles around forgiveness. And I'd just like to, to show you this, if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. This is all about... Uh, this is all about people who owed money. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now, notice the word, he's taking account of his servants. Uh, and the principle that we extracted from Proverbs 22 was that the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay? Take account of his servants, verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. So just think of the power that the lender has got over the borrower. In this case, 10,000 talents. It was, it was an amount that he could never, never pay back. It was so, so huge. Verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the serpent therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Do you see how that principle that you find in Proverbs 22 is coming out in this really accessible graphic story that Jesus is saying? When he's saying, look at this person that owed so much, and he was totally at the mercy of the man that had lent him all of those talents. So much so that he's falling down and saying, Verse 26, the serpent therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Well, that Lord was a good Lord, and he forgave him the whole lot. He forgave him the whole lot. And so he was released, and, and, and all of a sudden you'll see that the, that the one who was servant isn't anymore. He's been, he's been freed from the debt, and in the process of being freed from the debt, he's freed altogether. But look what he does, does next. Verse 28, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. It's the same principle, isn't it, working its way through here, that says that the, that the lender, sorry, the borrower is servant to, to the lender. He, he tried the same. He said, verse 29, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And you see that same dynamic is there, that the one who is... The one who is the borrower is servant to the lender. 
So, I don't know about your life circumstances, but I'm going to be thinking about this uh, first thing in the morning. I'm going to be thinking when I'm on a train that I perhaps don't want to be on and it's too crowded and hot and sweaty there, or freezing cold maybe. I'll be thinking, well, there's a, there's a principle behind this, and actually that principle could be found all these years ago, right back in the book of Proverbs, saying that the, that the, that the borrower is servant, servant to the lender. Okay, so there's, there's one example to show you the, the relevance that you've got of Proverbs when you, when you look at that, in that particular case, chapter 22. Okay, let me take you to the second one then, uh, which is in Proverbs again, and this time Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 and, and verse 29. And there you'll see here there's some really, really good guidance for, for us as we try and live our lives. For Proverbs 24 verse 29 says, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. He's done that to me, so I'm going to do the same to him. Don't do that. Don't do that, says the proverb. So this is about retaliation then. This is about retaliation that says, although it might be tempted to say, because this has been done to me, I'm going to do the same back again. The proverb says, that's not wise. That is not good judgment. And current thinking today will support that. That says, actually, if you continue constantly in this world of tit-for-tat retaliation, then actually it doesn't get anybody anywhere. If you take this in the workplace and you have a situation where someone is doing something unpleasant to somebody else, and they choose just to do the same back at them all the time, is that going to be conducive to that organisation reaching its goals and its objectives? Not at all. You've got conflict, and you're not moving anywhere. Think about it in a family. If you've got this attitude that says, well, because that's been done to me, I'm going to do the same back to them, is that going to bring about a harmonious situation in that family? No, it's not. It's going to bring about dysfunction in the family. Think about it in a marriage. If you're saying, well, because I've been that, that person's done this to me, I'm going to do the same back to them. Is, is that going to bring about a, a healthy relationship? No, no, it's not. And that piece of advice, I mean, that's just one verse from these 31 chapters. That piece of advice is something that's got a resonance and a place in our world today. Now... My question would be, where did Solomon learn that? Because actually, you think about it, it, it seems fair, doesn't it? If someone does something bad to me, I'll do the same back to them. That seems fair. It seems, seems equitable, seems equal. It sounds, sounds like a playground a bit, doesn't it? You know? um, but where was it that Solomon learned that that wasn't the right way to behave? Well, keep your hand there in Proverbs, because he learnt it from, from his father. Come back to Second Samuel. Second uh, Samuel 16. Let me tell you what's going on here in Second Samuel 16. There's been in the house of David, do you remember the king that pushed back all his enemies and, and set up this golden age, this peace and prosperity? Well, actually, it's it's before he's got to that point. It's during the time where he's trying to put down all this uh, rebellion. There actually, there's a rebellion that comes from his own house. 
And the rebellion comes from one of his own sons, not Solomon, who, who put the Proverbs together, but another one, a son called, called Absalom. And it was, it was a rebellion, it was insurrection. And it was so bad that what had to happen was that David had to leave the capital city and ultimately come back again. But he, but he had to leave because of, of what his son was doing. Now, while he, was, uh, while he was walking out of the city and going to his place of exile, um, you've got some, some chap that comes along and thinks it's going to be clever to curse him and throw stones at him. I mean, that's, that's pretty grim, isn't it, by any man's standards? Have a look at this then, Second Samuel 16. And verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. He cast stones at David and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man, a man associated with blood. Brave, you might say. Foolish, you might say. Just think about it. He's coming out to the to the king in a pretty low state as he's been exiled on account of the work of one of his sons. And he's there with all these mighty men. And this Shimei is going to come along on his own. He's going to start throwing stones at him, start cursing him and saying, you're getting your comeuppance now, aren't you, David? How sharp, how strong would the temptation have been for David to turn to one of his mighty men and say, just strike him dead. Easily done, probably no retribution would come from it. Is that what he did? Verse 9 says Then Abishai, one of, uh, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, to David, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Yeah, he, got, he grasped it, hasn't he? But look what David says. The king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. And how much more may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. You see, the easy reaction would have been to say, Strike him dead. And that's what Abishai, one of the king's men, had, uh, had worked out. He said, Look, just give me the word. I'll do with him. And that would be retaliation, wouldn't it? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But David says, don't do that. Don't do that. Because look, if my own son is going to cause rebellion, and this really is nothing, I'm going to choose to turn the other cheek and let him curse. And I believe what happened is that by the time you get to Solomon's day, that this story had been recounted and recounted as an example of David's wisdom when he was wise enough to say, let this man curse. Now what's actually going to happen in this story is when David's coming his way back, when actually the, abs- the, 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 um, the insurrection that's happened in Jerusalem, when that's been dealt with and, and David's making his way back, uh, this, um, this guy Shimei is going to come along and he's going to look a little bit sheepish because all of a sudden he wants to be well, back on David's side now that he's recognised as the king. And David, because he's not struck him dead... He's able, to, he's able to deal with him gently 
and set an example to all of his people that actually this is the way you deal with difficult people. You let them be as they are. You don't just retaliate in exactly the way that they mistreat you. Way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. An example of David, which then Solomon wrote down, that, uh, as we've seen there in Proverbs 20, uh, 24, say not, I would do to him as he has done to me. And that again is something that Jesus picks up in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you'd like to have a look in Matthew chapter 5, you'll see here that this piece of wisdom that I think comes from before the time of the Proverbs was written down as one of the Proverbs, now is made part of the Christian life in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that, who's, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And there is then that, that piece of advice written down in Proverbs, used by Jesus, and then which is a great piece of advice for us in, in our lives. So think about that for yourselves. In, you know, you might be sitting there or, or watching this on, online and thinking well I know I've got this difficult situation looming up or I've got this difficult person that's going to be doing these, these things either at work or at college or, or in whoever I might be rubbing shoulders with this week just think although the temptation is so sharp to do unto them as they've done unto you or to me actually the good advice is to say don't do that just, just don't return to them in the way they do it actually Let's just raise our behaviour to a high level. Imagine what the world would be like if everybody managed to do this. What a great piece of advice. And it comes from Proverbs. Great guide, guide to life. Did you keep a marker in Proverbs? You should have done. We're going back there now. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, this is, this is a great piece of advice, this is. And, it, and it's really easy, actually, to apply it into lots and lots of different daily circumstances. Okay, so we find it here, Proverbs 25, verse 7. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. What a good piece of advice that is. It's saying that, well, isn't it, it just makes sense. Let's just work it through together for a minute. Wouldn't it feel better for you to be invited to say, no, you, you, don't, you need, don't need to sit there. You need to come to this special seat, which has been reserved for you. you know, imagine if this was at a wedding, you know, where, where there's, it's all a, quite a big deal, isn't it, where everybody's going to sit. Imagine then that you're, you're snuck in at the back and someone can say, well, no, we've got a seat for you. You've, you've got a seat here, right, right at the front. That'd, you might be a bit embarrassed, but you, inside there's a little part of you that would be loving it, wouldn't you, as you walk to the front and take a really good seat. And compare that with the opposite, where you sit down at the front and someone says, nice to see you, but this isn't your seat. You need to, you need to go a bit further back because that's where you... That's where your seat is. And, and imagine the shame you'd experience as, as you make your way back. Now, now that's, that's a little bit of a, an abstract principle there. But what's really helpful 
is that again it's Jesus in the New Testament who picks up on that principle and paints it into such a graphic picture which is the one I've just been borrowing so keep your hand there in Proverbs again or a marker Uh, we go now to Luke chapter 14 and here here see the that example brought brought out for us Uh, Jesus is picking up on on the uh, the sentiment in that proverb in Luke 14 uh, where verse 7 says this he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them when thou art bidden to any any man to a wedding sit not down at the highest room lest a more honourable man than thou be bidden of him and he that bade thee he that bade thee and him come and say give this man place and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room but when thou art bidden verse 10 and go and sit down at the lowest room that when he that bade thee cometh he may say unto thee friend go up higher then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at me with thee for whoever exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbles himself shall be exalted so there's the there's the principle then that says it's better to be asked to come up higher than it is to be asked to step down a little bit. And, and there, with the, the help of the words of Jesus, we can apply that to, to a wedding. But I think you can apply it to lots and lots of daily situations. Just imagine. Imagine there's a boardroom and somebody is invited in and to comment. And they and they make it clear that they are an expert on the topic. They're an expert on the topic. They have had decades working in this field and they give their opinion, which in the view of the rest of the board, they decide is not valid and they're going to do something else. That's pretty pretty hard to stomach, isn't it? And the problem there is where the person comes in and says, this is what I know. This is is therefore why I'm a specialist. This is why you should listen to me. And actually, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be better in that situation for everyone to actually refrain their lips a little and be judged by their contribution of the moment and if everyone can say then wow that's that's a really good bit of insight i think you deserve promotion wouldn't wouldn't that go better than someone looking saying that's a strange thing to say i don't think we need this specialist anymore and that would be applying it into the case of, of the boardroom. So we've seen how you could apply this in a wedding, into a boardroom. You can apply it to any kind of group activity. You could apply it indeed to whether you're going to stand up and give someone else a place on the train or the bus as well. You see, once you start to, to think about this proverb, you can see that it, along with so many others, are a really good, handy piece of advice that we can take into our everyday lives. So what have we thought about then? We've thought about that the borrower servant to the lender. We've thought that we will, it's not good to be in the spirit of retaliation, um, that say not to, to him, I will do to him as done to me. We've thought about um, it's better to be invited to go to a higher place than to be invited to go to a lower one. And let, let me just give you a fourth one. I said there'd be three, but I'd like to give you uh, one, one for free extra. Um, and that's in Proverbs, again, back to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, have a look at verse 17. 
Proverbs 29, verse 17. It's great for great advice for, for fathers and sons and mums and daughters. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. We're careful with this, haven't you? But you've got to be careful because you've got to be exercise the, the wisdom of Solomon in how you, you meet out that correction. But, but the principle is, a child unpunished, a child uncorrected, a child with no guidance, completely left to their own devices, is unlikely to turn into a helpful citizen. A citizen that's going to make a meaningful contribution to the world in which they live. They're very unlikely. It happens, I grant, but very unlikely. The, the parent's job, the parent's duty is to, is to correct their son, their daughter. And if they do, and if that works, and it's, it's not an easy task, but if that works, then there will be moments when they will give them rest and when they will give them delight to thy soul. So, so let's just think a little bit about Solomon, the one who wrote this down. What gave him the right, the knowledge to write that proverb down? Well, aside from the point that, that he'd gone and, and asked, the Bible tells us he asked in prayer to God to give him such wisdom, and he wrote it down, very generous of him. Also, he grew up in a family where there was nowhere near enough of this kind of correction. He, he grew up in a family where he looked at his stepbrothers and stepsisters and saw absolute chaos. Absolute chaos. I mean, for example, you're going to have, in this family, you're going to have a, a stepson taking advantage of a stepdaughter in the most horrible way. You're going to see murder between stepbrothers. It's a very extreme example of a family that's gone wrong. And it's because there was not sufficient correction in that family when they were there growing up. And Solomon was able to look at that and say, look at what's going on around me. What's, what's going on here? And as a result of that observation was to say exactly what you find then here, that correct your son and then he'll give thee rest and he'll give delight unto thy soul. And don't do it. And then the opposite is true. Well, really, I just wanted to give you a flavour here of what, of what we've got in Proverbs. And that is to say it's a treasure trove of great pieces of advice for life that we find tucked away in the middle of our Bibles, written by this very wise man, Solomon. And they're there. Now, I recognise it might be a challenge for us to, to think, to open up the book of Proverbs when we've got a difficult problem in life. But if only we would... We'd find it to be, as I've described, this treasure trove which has got all these wise sayings in that would make be really good for us if we made them part of our everyday decision-making. Now, before I finish, I've got to give you the overriding principle that comes out from the book of Proverbs. Because you, you may have noticed that a lot of the Proverbs we've been looking at have been later on in the book in this collection of proverbs and sayings because there's 31 chapters here and we've been looking at chapter 22 onwards that's where you get down to the really practical examples that we've been looking at this afternoon but when you go earlier in the book you'll see the overriding principle the over the guiding light if you like that that shapes all of these all of these uh, these wise sayings um, can you have a look in proverbs chapter 3 
because the fundamental piece of advice that Solomon's to give out, ahead of all of those other really useful things, the most fundamental piece of advice he wants to give out to people is this. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lay not unto thine own understanding. He's going to give all these Proverbs that are going to follow, but the principle is make God part of your life. Trust in the Lord. Trust in God. And don't just trust in your own in your own judgments that that actually he says when you find yourself in those different situations when you find yourself at, at work then actually make god part of your decisions in prayer and also consciously that when you're making a decision you're using godly wisdom not just what you can think up yourself there's a whole wealth of self-help books that are available and by and large they're great but the advice that comes from here is don't just work on your own understanding, but overlay it with this principle of trusting in God. And so therefore, my appeal to you is to say, in whatever circumstance you'll find yourself in, take God with you. Make God part of your life, not just on a Sunday, but make God part of your life when you are preparing food, when you're going to work, when you're in the car, when you're on the bus, when all the things that you're doing, take God with you. And then it will be so much easier to make better judgments because they're the judgments that God has written down. Proverbs, they are a great guide to life. But if there's just one thing we take away, it's trust in the Lord. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.